Hi, Ryan. Hi, Rachel. How you doing? Why are you whispering to me? Is do you have a secret? <laughs> Maybe. Maybe, maybe, well, we'll find out Rachel's secret at the end of the episode. So stay tuned, everyone. Do you have any guesses what Rachel's secret could be? Is it that this is a yum yum podcast? I don't know. You can hit us up at our social medias or over at yumyumpod at gmail.com. Drop us in what you think Rachel's secret is. What could Rachel's secret be? Hmm? Now, Rachel, we're here to talk about what on this edition of the podcast we are here to discuss the 90s sci-fi show babylon 5 and we are just at the start of season four but beware listening peoples we are coming at it from a spoiler perspective both ryan and i have watched the show multiple times that's the truth and we throw it all in there like a blender we mix it all together into one neat little concoction of yum 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 being the title of the podcast and the thing we come back to because of star trek discovery a series that we have covered in the past and there was a line of dialogue in the season two finale that was yum yum and it changed us it moved us it, it, tears tears were had uh mine were on the inside rachel's were on the outside the tears and we had to name the podcast and everything we do after it and we are up to a very monumental episode in season four of Babylon Five. Rachel, that we are. do you know the title and the the number? I believe it's episode six. Episode six. You, you you're willing to bet your life on that? No. You, you're not willing to bet your life on it. Wow, my wife doesn't want to bet her six life. Into the fire. You're correct. You win nothing because you didn't bet. So, no life for Rachel. Uh, the DVD description is what we read off of, and of course, we own the physical media. Uh, why would we want to rely on the digital platforms and the streaming sites to have it? Why would we want to do that? That's foolish. The DVDs give us the brochures with pictures. Hmm? Mm. Pictures. And DVD descriptions. Into the Fire is, as such, the first ones. Ooh. I'm I'm adding the ooh there, Rachel. No, thank you. Whose existence dates to the dawn of creation become allies in Sheridan's coalition, but despite such powerful help, some fateful decisions of life, death, and eternity can only be made by Sheridan. Oh, and Londo's yeah. got some plot too. Yeah. Don't, Londo's we got don't a, need to talk about that yet. Londo's got a little bit of plot. No, no, no. no. He's got just that's a tiny not, bit of plot. That's not too important. That's not important? You think You think his plot would be important to the series, but no, not in this. None. So let's get into our backgrounds. Rachel, Into the Fire is episode six, as we said, and this is a pretty monumental one. Lots of things are concluded, lots of running threads and character things come to a head here. So uh, give us your reactions to this overall, your, your, your impressions, your, your history. 
Well, just like pretty much every other episode of season four, it's a banger. It does not disappoint. It does... It goes hard in a lot of ways. And I remember being overwhelmed by it on the first viewing because there's just so much that happens. Because it's like you got this thing and this thing and these characters at this point and they're doing this thing because of this thing. And it's like everything has a justification and a context. And it's moving all of these things forward in really important ways and leaving you on this sort of cliffhanger of what comes next. We're now well and truly at the dawn of the third age of mankind, which has been promised to us. It's a new age, Dylan. A third age. My third chaos, too primitive to make our own decisions. Then we were manipulated from outside by forces that thought they knew what was best for us. And now, now we're finally standing on our own. It's so swift with everything that it does. I, like, sort of struggle against the tide sometimes watching it because I want to stay in certain moments. Like, I I want to stay with Marcus and Nirvana for a little bit longer. Well, they get to stick around a bit longer in the season, but yeah. uh, I I understand. I was dumbfounded. I, I, I was surprised. I, I didn't think that we would wrap up the Shadow War, Mr. Morden. No, the... I was like, what the fuck are you doing? Uh, this is I, not a. Like, I thought this was going to go. Six I honestly thought this was going to be to the end of the show because that's what they usually do, and if not, at least the end of this season. And I didn't know watching it about the whole season four could have been the last season because of the network or the platform it was on was wrapping up, and so they had to wrap things up quicker, and that's why this season has such a fiery pace to it. But. Even knowing that, it doesn't change how just uh, wowzers this is because it does creep up on you and it just is a smack to the face and pretty much every scene is is excellent. This has some of the best moments of the entire series in it. I'm a big fan of it. Uh, the ending to this uh, ancient war conflict, uh, I've flipped and back and forth and had a tug of war over uh, the course of many watches. On the first watch, I didn't even have too strong of an opinion on it. I was mm. just thinking, well, we've got to follow up on it, which they do, because we have another season and a bit of this series, so we we have to follow through. And this would be five, so they'll follow through. And and, and again, emphasize, mm. they do follow through on yeah. these things, but I, I didn't even have a stronger opinion of if I was satisfied with this being the conclusion to the grand conflict at hand because I, it just blindsided me so very much. Who in Into the Fire had YYE, yum yum energy? Who could have said yum yum? Who had just that yum yum swagger to them? View when he does the little wave. Of course. That's that that's pretty YYE, would you agree? It's pretty YYE. 
yeah, I it's it's got to be Veer. Veer's the champion of the YYE in this episode, but I, I, I and this is me being charitable. This is this is me being a sentimental person, but uh, Mr. Morden, yeah, I see you. You always had it. Mm-hmm. We we restricted ourselves giving it to you every episode you appeared in because you were just that type of character. Too easy. It was too easy, but you you had it always. And here, boy, you went through a, a whole plethora and range of emotions. Uh, Lorian as well also had some YYE moments, but he's a more relaxed, calm, serene. Mm. He would say it sexily, though. That's the thing about Lorian. He would say it sexily. And we begin the proceedings of uh, this by having to follow through on some plot points. That's that's this episode. And Avonova is searching for the first ones. And this is the task that she has been bestowed. And this means that she's paired up with uh, Lorian. Uh, let's talk about that uh, thoughts on this? It makes sense. Like, they keep on giving the first one hunt to Ivanova. We knew that this is where she was going to be at. And uh, knowing where it goes with the first ones leaving, it makes sense that Lorian's like, no. We're getting all of them. We're getting all of them. We're going to be thorough with this but I enjoy the way that they come at the situation so differently and where that conversation flows to. That scene isn't one that I I think of lines from. It's the tone and the emotion that I think of, like, that gentle, caring sort of touch that comes through of, like, almost guiding a child through a tantrum (laughs) and, like, him being, like... An episode about parentalism has the ultimate parent. Yes. That that's what I think of. Do you think of like specific things that are said during that scene, or are you... well, they they have a whole bunch of little There's scenes and moments. So, so many I liked great when they lines. were. I liked when they were on the White Star, and he is just emphasizing to her that we have to wait for all of them. We have to wait for the last one. And just the way that Wayne Alexander plays it, where ever so alien and ancient and wise, but there's just such a a serenity and beauty to the lilting voice that he has. And you Mm. pair that with Claudia Christian's uh, very comedic-centric performance because she gives some of these faces and she's she's pacing to and fro and she, she sits in the captain's chair on the White Star and she's just... Okay, we'll 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 try and do our best with everything. We'll travel here and hopefully we get back to there. And when we do get the the last of the first ones pop up, I I just like how at this point meeting aliens like this isn't special anymore. It is just a uh, uh, like here they are, Lorian 
is Mr. They'll remember me. They always, they'll always remember me. I'm hard to forget. I'm, I'm their dad. Yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and just the pairing of these two characters is is a strange one because what I've really noticed about season four, even though the pacing is so fast that we don't get any of those fluffy character episodes like in season three, uh, we do get a lot of characterful moments in every episode and pairings. You also don't They're, get survivors. Anymore. We don't get survivors. Ah, uh, drunk again, Uncle Mike. <sighs> ah, so oh, I cry. You made me own oh, Grail. We don't get a Grail anymore. Ooh. But we get a lot of different pairings that you wouldn't expect. We'll eventually get Marcus and Franklin, and Lita yeah. gets paired up with Zach, and and also Franklin and Lorian and Avonova isn't something that was on your bingo card immediately, but no. you you get to have these diametrically opposed people who can also have a conversation in a civil tone because mm. of one of us is skeptic. She's she's also a bit cynical. So when she meets the guy who says, I'm the very first thing in the universe, uh, of course she finds it. Bullshit. Bullshit you are. I need some facts behind that and some logic. She tries to po- poke holes in his in his story, in his lore, which, again, JMS is at this point in the series where giving us the lore feels far more smooth, natural, and exciting to get. So It's not janky as much anymore. It's not just a character sitting another one down and giving them a big monologue. It's actually a conversation because her and Lorian are basically just giving us a bunch of lore, exposition, and themes, but there's just a rhythm to the writing and the performances. And I, I just really enjoyed it overall. Now, what were some of the elements of the big conversation between the two uh, where he explains you know, his immortality? And what did you gravitate towards? What leaps out to you or resonates or lingers? Just how sad he is for her that, she doesn't speak to her heart anymore. The sorrow that the performer communicates of, like, oh, no, you've lost something that makes you so beautiful and wonderful as a species. Like, you've turned your back on something so wonderful. And you are saying it like it's a good thing that you're ignoring this part of you and this strength of your species. The strength that I don't get to have because I live too long to be able to believe in the lie of love. Um... There's so much here, but that is a, a great crux of the scene where Avonova does shut it down. Yeah, my heart and I don't speak anymore. And just him flipping back, yeah, I've no I've noticed that. This person who's barely interacted with her has noticed that because it is so clear uh how she is closed off in that manner. And 
Claudia Christian gives a great reaction to that, just a silent looking up and just so much in the eyes of anger, frustration, but also I've been seen and she's worried and that's a truth that hits too close to home and also repressing it and not showing any weakness. It's it's just masterclass acting in an episode that is filled with very loud, very memorable, flashy, quotable scenes. And, and 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 exchanges that here we have uh Lorian and Ivanova just talking to one another and he goes over basically the beginning of the universe, how life is the way it is, and it's it's very serene because that's what the character of Lorian has to be. And it offsets all of the bombacity that's in the other plot lines going on it these are breather scenes if anything and so i appreciate them even more and they have just some poignant ideas about love and loss and mortality we've lived too long seen too much to live on as we have is to leave behind joy and love and companionship, because we know it to be transitory. Of the moment, we know it will turn to ash. Only those whose lives are brief can imagine that love is eternal. I I really like that he goes on, uh, because I was just looking at the script, he goes on to say, like, you should embrace that illusion. And that's a keenly aware writer kind of line because illusion has that negative connotation, but it also has the idea of being magical as well. So there's a lot of meaning packed into that word, particularly in that context of embracing the illusion that love can last forever. Babylon 5 can be a very uh, biting, pessimistic at times outlook on the world, but in amongst it, there is this... There's always hope. There's hope. There is always hope, but there there is this uh, embrace of us stumbling through everything and not understanding and being ignorant. Mm. And sometimes ignorance is bliss is a thing that is just a given in the world. And love can be one of those. I think back to I think it was and now for a word where Sheridan talks about why we keep doing this. And it's like mm. we may fall over, but then we learn to pick ourselves up and and we just go on and. I look at that being echoed here, but just in a different avenue of discussion that there are these ongoing notions, these ongoing philosophical ideas and and thesis statements that JMS weaves throughout the series. And in an episode that is going to culminate in a war of ideology being broken down to its basics, yeah. having a scene like this helps bolster that because if this was a nothing but an action like an action episode and the Londo being a badass blowing up an island episode the conclusion with it just being a bunch of talky 
uh, a bunch of philosophical let's stroke our chin stuff mm. could fall very flat if it actually wasn't for the Lorian stuff. Yeah. Who obviously helps save the day in the end. And but... also, like, it sets up the tone of the episode. The themes are well established, reaffirmed. That Ryan. Yes, Rachel. Farini needs to talk to Londo. Not only does he need to talk, he needs to flail his hands about. <laughs> the guy can't... If you tied his hands behind his back, he wouldn't be able to talk. No, he would. No, he he would die. He would die. I love him. I, I love, love him. him so much. Ooh, ooh, ambassador, Prime Minister Molari. Ooh, good morning, Katasha. He's such a flagrant little man. Like, adore, praise, everything about him, 100% perfect, don't change a thing. He's the type of performance, and we'll get to talk mm-hmm. more about him in the next episode and also in season five, but he's the type of performance you don't get anymore. No, 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 no. You don't get that type as, as often, I'll say that. Uh, Londo, Centauri Prime, he has to get rid of all of the remaining shadow stuff, a uh, clean house of yep. the remaining Kataja running loyalists. Running low on time. Running low on time. Uh, Kataja's loyalists get the fuck out of here. Uh, Via, help me set up the shenanigans that we're going to be putting in place later. I, I have to ask this of you. A lot of Londo's plans in Babylon 5. Mm. Often, not always, but often uh, revolve around us, the audience, not knowing what his plans are until they happen. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about that? Do you like that? Yeah, I like it. He's a shady motherfucker. (laughs) But why does that work? Because I do think there are occasions in stories where when Mm. our character, who's oh so smart, oh so clever, reveals that they had this oh so clever, oh so smart plan that we, the audience, had no idea of what it was, can be, it it can be, it can rob us. It can can take away Mm -hmm. or it can make it seem like the writers put in more work than they actually have. That's what Game of Thrones fell into the trap of eventually, but why does it work for Londo? Well, it's things that we've already discussed and it sort of boils back down to it's written well. That's the crux of it to me. Um, But as part of that, we know Londo, we know this world, so we can fill in reasonably what he's up to. Mm. Uh, Like, we get the idea, but maybe not the details. Like, we know when he's actually plotting to assassinate Rifa that he's politically scheming, and then we get the reveal of what it truly was, right? And in this, it's just like, well, they need to get rid of the shadows, and we know that he's doing all of these things to that end. We just don't know exactly what it is. Like It's the essence of it. And when it does get paid off, you can sit back and go, this makes sense, not only logistically, but also for the character. Would the character of Londo be capable and smart enough and daring enough to do 
this plan? And the answer is yes. And not only is it a yes, but the way that it is performed by the actor helps very much too. But the character has to be at a certain uh, a certain tilts emotionally to do it, which this episode provides when he is going through all of the information and we have the Minister of Intelligence uh, come in to inform him on what actually happened to Adira. The shoe finally gets to be dropped. We finally get the reaction from Londo of the truth, mm-hmm. the truth that we've known, yep. the truth that we've understood. We've been waiting for him to know it. And finally it is here and it sends him into such a... The camera work in that scene is beautiful because you like can sort of pinpoint the moment when Londo loses it and the camera goes off like the tripod or the steakham or whatever it was on mm-hmm. and it's unhinged and fluid and following him spinning around as yeah as he's literally spiraling out of control and having like a citizen cane moment trashing his quarters oh, this is the first time in what feels like a very long time where I genuinely felt sad for Londo. Like, I felt for him when he is grieving and crying and and realizing that he got played like a puppet, like a puppet. Him knowing that he has fucked everything up is always good, but knowing that he had this one true thing in his life that was taken away and it was taken away as a device to be used against him. And he fell for it. He did it. He did it. Hook, line, and sinker. And when he's crying and when he's screaming, I I did. I was moved. Uh, I haven't been moved for Londo in a, in a while. And I don't mean that in a negative sense. He's still a very engaging and entertaining character. But the way that I've been looking at him for the last, I don't know, season, and, and like l- maybe just under a season, has been... Uh, relishing him uh, getting fucked over by his own choices. Here, yeah, it's that mm. it's, it's that as well, but it's also just sad. Yeah, you, uh, you're reminded of how deeply and truly he loved Adira, and that's set up nicely within the scene as well when he calls her Lady Adira and the minister's like, oh, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't call her a lady. Um, and and Londo's like, no. I, no, I know what she was and I know who she was to me and she is a lady to Londo. And that's also a sign of his affection and adoration for her as a person. And then to realize and feel the impact of his, the manipulation that he suffered. Adira was heart wrenching. And I still look at it. And, like, I feel for Londo, but I still judge Londo. Mm. 
because I never get far away from thinking he learns the wrong lessons. That's just something that I think of constantly mm-hmm. when thinking about Lundo. I come back to that. Because he gets he gets consequences to his choices and actions. Adira was this light in the tunnel for him. She was the she was somebody that was so beautiful to him and not just in appearance but in in essence that he was willing to give it all up he was willing to stop playing the game to reveal who he really was to take off the mask and just embrace the man that he that he wants to be not the man he thinks he should be and this is just a reminder of oh they used that against me. They took that away and it made me fall into where I am now, where I'm mm-hmm. the prime minister on the road to becoming emperor where I'll get murdered by my oldest enemy. And the, uh, I, my planet could be destroyed in, in a moment because of everything I've done. And just also Mr. Morden, that motherfucker. Of course, of course that's what he would have done. He played me. He played me like a puppet! It was already something that would make one salivate when you start the episode and he says, fetch Mr. Morden, I can't wait to, you know, he's going to hear the news, ooh. And you're excited to see the confrontation between the two guys because now Londo has the power Mm -hmm. and he can make some shots. But this here, that, that, that revelation which... I will be honest with you, I had kind of forgotten when I first saw it. Not that she had died, but like I'd forgotten that that would have been something that should be revealed to Londo at some point, just because it's been I ages. Yeah, I didn't think that they would. I thought he would forever be in the dark about it. But it makes sense that he would find out and then that would make him kill Morden. But oh, well, as totally well as it aligning with the... We gotta clean up Centauri Prime. Mm-hmm. But it makes him personally invested yes. more to fuck up Morden and the he Shadows. Lethal. <sighs> Is this the best scene that Londo has in the entire series uh, where he dispatches the Shadows mm. and Mr. Morden and reveals uh, his master plan? I, yeah. I don't know how many times I've just watched this individual scene on its own. It, it is fucking spectacular. It's a showcase of a scene. It 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 is glorious, and it is one of the standout ones. But I I just find it too hard to commit to saying that it's the best one. It's definitely one of the best, but. It's also that thing of, like, whatever one I watched recently feels like the best. I, I, I totally understand. He, he He's a very uh, dynamic character because here he's getting to play the full master villain role, but he is completely justified as well. Like, we understand why he's doing everything on the level of he's got to save Centauri Prime, the shadows are evil, but... He has to get revenge. He has to. He has to 
kill Mr. Morden. So we are relishing and delighting in this entire sequence where Peter Jurisic plays him so cold, plays mm. Londo with that razor edge and just dripping with with animosity throughout the entire thing. And when the moment is right, he is smiling because it's making him happy to have this moment that he's probably played out in his head over and over again leading over up to it. Over and over and over again. Like, from... Yeah, like, he... I think he is always planning on getting rid of Morden in the in this window of time because he knows enough to know that Morden wouldn't just leave and he's also too dangerous to just be let go. He calls Morden into that throne room. He's all healed now, I see. Ooh, he's got his slicked hair. It's nice and tall. Uh, Ed Wass is walking in thinking, yeah, I'm going to be a series regular still. <laughs> the beauty that is the Londo-Morden relationship is seeing Londo be naive to being mm. completely aware of what he's dealing with. In the early days, he was amused by Mr. Morden. Oh, you're a crazy man. Go away now. Oh, you, you scamp. To being enamored by him, fooled by him, tempted by him, loathe him. And here we are. By him. He has the power over Morden. And just seeing Morden in the scene as well is just uh, a sight to behold because you see him bargaining with the situation. Mm -hmm. He's trying to adapt to it because it's ever-changing. He thinks that he still has his power. He still thinks he's top dog. And Londo completely keeps erasing every single layer. Every level of, okay, well, you think you have us, you you think you're in control here. The Volans are on their way, and yes, they will destroy our entire planet. You banking on them having mercy is no longer working. Uh, You standing beside the shadows. Literally and figuratively is pointless. mm -hmm. They are now gone. You know what? Your base of operations is now gone as well. Like, he strips everything away from Morden before he kills him. And the last piece that Morden brought upon himself is thinking that Londo wouldn't be crazy enough to do this. That you would not be this You're, much and, of a bastard. And, well, and you, like, you forged that. Morden's like, you're insane. And it's just like, yeah. Like, he was barely holding on. He was holding out for Adira's visit. And and you took that away from him. You took away that man's last shred of hope. And now, now you get the consequences of not just, like, Londo's life that he's played with, but Morden on behalf of his associates, 
has fucked up the entire galaxy. And it's just this beautiful moment of karma of he's finally getting something back because he's such a fucking weasel and I was left seething after Sheridan had to let him go. Mm-hmm. But, and, like, he's just managed to wriggle out of all of these situations. Because he's smooth. He survived Zaha Doom, the fucker. Yeah, he's a cockroach. He's a cockroach. And now, and now he finally gets squashed. Oh, man. And it is even more satisfying because it's something that when you first watch the series... You never thought that you would get, like, a face to the antagonist and for them to have their day of reckoning. At least not in this moment, right? No, like, not not here and not now. But it's so earned. It goes so back to earned. what you were saying sort of at, at the top of the episode of, like, how you assumed that the Shadow War wouldn't finish until the end of Season 5. It's like, this is not a Season... Um, this is not a Season 4 out of 5 thing, and it definitely is not an Episode 6 out of... Oh, 22. 22. There is just such joy had in the sequence where Londo tells the guards to back off and Morden, you stay there, you, you stay very still. And he just gets them to shoot and you'll mm. remind, oh yeah, he always has shadows with him. And they know that and they just dispense with them because yeah. guess what? The shadows aren't all that. They're not gods. You can literally kill them. You're afraid, aren't you? They're afraid. And speaking of your associates, we must make sure that we can talk privately. Do not move. Londo makes the big play. Oh, uh, you're going to get rid of you and your ships. What are you going to do, Londo, huh? They can detect a ship from miles away, huh? So... What's your plan, man? You're going to blow up the island? And he does. Mm -hmm. He does blow up the island, which is... He thinks he's calling Londo's bluff. That's crazy. I I never forget how hard my jaw hit the floor when when he reveals that, yeah, I will actually. And he does. He proceeds to blow up this island, which this trick here is one of the greatest, if not the great Londo plays. Oh, of I think all it's the series, his best political move. It's his best move, like best just move, in the show. It, and but it comes back to his, his downfall. Morden's uh, words. That's the thing. As Morden keeps adapting to it. Like out. Oh my god! Oh my god! I'm like, mm-hmm. London. You'll eat those words. You'll eat these actions. You'll, you'll eat, eat it all. It. But in the moment. It's satisfying in the moment. It saves the day. And Morden is a broken man. I love that he screams. He's no. And then afterwards, he's just left completely left with no air in him. He's just deflated. He, he has no clue what to do because 
he has no power anymore. And so when he's left dragged out screaming that, oh, the Allies, they'll get you for this, Londo. Even if my associates lose this this war, war, (laughs) they have allies. They'll make sure Centauri Prime pays the price for what you've done here today. And uh, we're not done with you, Mr. Morden. What have I done? (laughs) Mr. Morden's... I haven't even started with you yet. Mr. Morden's death is, uh, well, iconic, top tier. Top tier. Best of the best, great payoff. Great payoff because he gets his head cut off and stuck <laughs> on a pike, and Via gets what like he wants. Via wanted, and we get the flashback. Via's the only one who gets what he wants without any fallout and consequences to him. I mean, is there any other way he could have got out? There's no other way he could have got out. See, I've talked about this before on the podcast, and I've talked about it a lot just. With you, there are certain villains, certain bad guys, where death is not the option for their demise or conclusion. It just doesn't feel satisfactory. A Littlefinger being a great example in Game of Thrones, where it's like, if you had to kill him, you should have done it in a much better way. Or even the spider, say. But Morden is not necessarily one of those guys. And if you did have to kill him, it'd have to be very, very good. And this is the best you could ever, ever do. Did you ever think about how Morden would end? Like, when you're watching the show, he's arguably the antagonist. Yeah, like, like I really meant it when I said that like, he's, the, he's the face of it. So did you ever really postulate how we would deal with this dude? I I think on the first viewing, I was like, I wanted him to die so much that I was like, it has to happen. It has to happen. Mm-hmm. And then I would remember what Via said. And I would be like, oh, it would be so, so delicious. Yum, yum. If. Okay. The smile went off Rachel's face as soon as I said that. Rachel, I've been a good boy. You've said context so much in the episode, and I haven't said is for kings. Allow me one yum yum. Yeah, but you know, you you get to do it and I get to react. That's right, and that's Rachel's secret. She gets to react. Surprise! We revealed it not at the end. So if you were one of those sneaky motherfuckers who were going to skip to the end to hear Rachel's secret and say that you listened all the way through, we tricked you. We tricked you. Ooh, you you fools. Londo's not done yet, though, Rachel. Because he has to make sure that the Vorlons know that all of the shadow influence is gone, Mm -hmm. uh, Morden's gone, everything's gone. He 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 personally tells them this. Yeah, yeah. Hey, guys, I did this. I'm on Suntari Prime right now. And uh, all of the people and stuff influenced by those uh, bastards, they're not here. So you don't have to kill us now, okay? Go away. Go away. Um, but Via's observant. I mean, Via's his assistant. Via knows everything. Via has literally seen him and he transform. Doesn't, he doesn't want to say it. He doesn't want to have to say it. The resignation in Stephen First's face in that scene, because it's not even he's worried. 
he just goes no it's it's a real no you didn't get rid of all of it londo um are you gonna figure this out or am i am i really gonna have to tell you he points at him he literally has to point at him even say the words really he doesn't even need to say it because it's so obvious you literally just have to point at it it's you you fucking idiot and just wow Uh, of course of course it's you londo we, the audience, have seen it be you. You don't even get to see what Volans look like because your soul is so touched by the shadows that you are corrupted down to that level, mm-hmm. dude. Jesus Christ. And uh, Rachel, the Volans go away, right? Londo's just one guy, so they, they, they'll go away, right? <laughs> no, they go away because... They've been called in as reinforcements on the battlefront where Sheridan is. Oh, but 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 Londo Londo knew that, right? Of course, he he was no no. Oh, was he at all? Oh, he was pretty worried then, right? That the Volans would blow up Centauri Prime just for him. Mm-hmm. That's a great sequence there. <laughs> Not for me. They won't do it just yeah. to get me. Yeah, they would. They're insane, Londo. Yes. You were insane enough to blow up an island a second ago. What do you think? What do you think they're gonna do? What do you think they're gonna do? They're gonna bl- they're blowing up whole planets. Yeah, they'll mm-hmm. do it just for you. Yeah. They hate you. Mm-hmm. Everyone, that the whole universe hates you Londo. You can infect others. Yeah, yeah. Because they are very much like. Looking at it like it's a, a disease yeah, or virus that an needs to be exterminated. Infection that needs to be cut out. That's it. And he begs Via, kill me. Show them that you've done it. Uh, I like, mean, it's too late for that, Londo. Londo's willing to sacrifice himself, but at the same time, he can't do it. No. He has to get Via to do it. Via, you have to do it. Mm-hmm. Show them that it's been mm-hmm. done. He can't even do it, but he no. knows that it needs to be. Yeah. Needs to be handled. He will die for his people. In in this whole episode, we're just talking about the Londo stuff and the Ivanova stuff. Believe it or not, everyone, the Shadow War is ending now because of everything that Sheridan and Delenn are doing. Yeah, you know that. You know that stinky old Shadow War. It's ending now. Did did you like the Shadow War? Were you ever a big fan of it? Were you a big enjoyer of this three-season to four-season-long arc of these ancient aliens using everyone as a proxy war? Have you ever been uh, a big lover of it? Yes and no. Like, because there's so many aspects to it. The idea is so interesting that I can't say that I don't like it, but there are definitely aspects to the Shadow War that I like more than others because there is such a variety to it, the way that it plays out and plays into different things. Like, I can't say that I dislike it because it gives me the Babylon 4 episodes. Mm. And they are some of my favorites of the whole show. 
and you wouldn't get that without this shadow war and the previous one. It's hard, right? It, it's hard because... It gives you so much great material. Yes. And then there's the downsides as well. But when, like, I also have trouble answering it because it's just like, it's at the core of the show. It is the core of the show. It's it's a, it's a very much uh, what the platform was built off of. And so here's where I fall. I love the Shadow War in general. It's great. I, I, I really like it. I, I don't mind how it ends. But over the years of watching it, I've lost my fascination with it. Because when I was younger, I wanted this in more of my science fiction. This and Deep Space Nine had their, we slowly built up to an intergalactic war. While a lot of the other sci-fi shows would promise that and then not actually do it, or it would be the point that they don't do that. And or it's a fight against just one alien. And so... Having this be here, and it's not just a, a season-long thing. It's a, it's a full, continuous it's saga. It's built up over years. It's built up, and there's all of this stuff. But why, I, I guess, I lose fascination with it, especially in comparison to what happens with Earth, the Earth War, is, and maybe this is amplified too because we have been watching and just finished up Space Above and Beyond, and we also watched Battlestar Galactica and so many other stuff recently where I don't feel the grit of the Shadow War like I do with the Earth War, where there's certain things presented in the Earth conflict that are the harrowing truths of war, oh, while and, and they languish the, in it, while here in the Shadow War, yeah, they're destroying mm, whole planets, but I actually don't feel that no, much about the dire consequences of the Shadow War like I do with the dire con- consequences. Yes. Yeah. Whereas, like, it's a very big difference between the two conflicts. Because humanity is caught in the middle of the shadow war because it really is about the ideologies of the Volons and of the shadows and them trying to make all of these other races pick between them so that they can prove that they're the ones that are right, they're the ones that are better. But the earth war is a civil war and it's also a war that deeply troubles our characters and forces them to confront their morality their principles their strengths their weaknesses whereas the like there's a layers to the way that they feel about it right in the earth side of things but when it comes to the shadow or they're overwhelmed and powerless they are terrified of what's happening and their inability to control it and it 
it's a much, much grander scale. And they both have their place in their show, in the show. I'm not saying that they don't, but it's much easier to connect to conflict that it it it's carried on the shoulders of those characters and it deeply affects them and you get to see them like deal with that where like i'm just thinking of how sheridan is at the end of this episode when he's with Delenn mm-hmm. and he's giving the monologue about the third age of mankind. I mean, make her own magic now. Mm-hmm. Compared to when he's defeated Clark. That, I was thinking the exact same thing. He is a broken man. And there's a mess to deal with immediately. Bro- like, that. that is not... Uh, we won! Right off into the sunset immediate. It's, uh, uh, we're we're still fucked. We're going to have to clean it up and figure it out. And this here, here's how I break it down. Just the most simplistic way. The Shadow War is cerebral, philosophical, heady in its thoughts and process of war. Yes, and the, the cost of it. Mm-hmm is never brunted by Babylon 5 or anybody on Babylon 5. And the Civil War deals more up close and personal. It shows us the ramifications on individuals, on on individuals, whether it is the fact that Babylon 5 feels the need to separate and we see all of the consequences and all all of the psychor stuff. And so... I gravitate towards that more now where when you look at times of conflict and who it who it impacts, while also with the Shadow War, you look at it as well where you do have those things with wars, especially if you're looking at them from a history standpoint of like, what spawns a war? What makes a war continue on? And you have it at that intellectual level. And I'm not saying there isn't any intellectual stuff in the Civil War. There deeply is, of course. But it's just, there's a difference between a... a, a, a uh, a game being played by two ancient beings with the universe and what the Civil War has going on in it. When the other first ones passed beyond the rim, you stayed behind as guardians, shepherds for the younger races. But you've lost your way. This isn't about teaching us or helping us. This is about you being right. It's not so much that they're right in the sense of morality, but the logic sense as well. It's not like they're beyond that. They're beyond morality at this point in their evolution, which is why they're fucking up the rest of us in a way. But it's that you should have our point of view and that that is all all the world is within that view so there is no right and wrong there's our way and that is it what did you think about let's talk about the shadows how they present themselves so they're talking to delen and they're in the black with void with faces that she knows and they have some words to say about why they're actually pretty cool 
And they're rad, actually. And hey, we may be scary spider people, but don't you want to hear about chaos? Don't you want to hear about how cool it is and how marvelous it is? Uh, I love what they're saying here in the ironic sense of, like, they're completely full of shit. They don't see the shortcomings of anything they're saying. They try to pivot it to the Dalen, you, the Minbari. Look how cool you guys are. Through war and conflict, you guys have grown. You guys have become stronger and better. And more, but like more, more just cool and badass. Yeah. You have bones for heads. Come on. <laughs> That's so rad. You have caste systems, and one of them's just for fighting. And Delenn points out, like, how deeply and fundamentally screwed up her society is. And it's because mm-hmm. of this. It's because of this. And the, the, the hilarious thing is, the shadows say this, like, see, we made you better. We made you the way you are. But we know throughout the course of the series, with the Babylon 4 instant, with Kosh, that the Minbari have been altered and molded by the Vorlons. Yeah. So there's a statement being made there where the shadows are saying, if it wasn't for us, you wouldn't be as cool as you were. But it's also like, yeah, but if it wasn't for the Volons, they wouldn't be where they are either. It is you two have made a conflict that traps us in a way where you think that you're right no matter what, because you think you're right about it, because look how the Minbari are. And the Volons are like, see, we're right about it, because look at how the Minbari are. Yeah. So no one, like, neither one of you going to win this this argument because you both think you're right. And in the end, you're both wrong. Yeah, because... We have autonomy. Yes. Not only that, but the sort of no man is an island is a factor in that as well because you can't say that this species has done it this way so they've been successful because they're in a galaxy full of other species because they aren't concerned with things on a planetary level. It's interplanetary that they're concerned with. So there's just no isolation and no way to say that it's just this one thing or just the other. And then we get the Vorlons. And, uh, I mean, I think everyone says this, but the the weirdness of their presentation of themselves is, 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 is gorgeous because Sheridan gets to talk to the Vorlons and he's in the Black Void uh, area that they like to go to in B5, and it's, a woman with a veil, a choker, and the choker has a jewel on it that lights up just like when the Volons speak. And she's in a big glass or ice cube. Mm-hmm. And she's a real person. Like, she doesn't move. She's got her arms crossed, but, like, that's a real person standing there. Mm. And it's not like it's anyone specific. It's not like it's a face of an angel or a face of his mother, or like anyone. It's just this beautiful woman. And what I really adore about that visual, and it accompanies what they say, is it's it's this image of beauty, but it's frozen. Like, it's stuck. 
it is it is trapped it is contained and that's what the volons are the volons have suffered from what Lorian is saying where it's like you live so long that you detach yourself from everything and the volons have gotten to that point same with the shadows where they've stayed too long they've reached the the apex of evolution or societal needs or philosophical whatever and they've become stuck in it and now they have to find a a reasoning to keep going and so here it is this cycle this conflict and for them it's about obeying them and making sure to uh be in your place (laughs) when we tell you to be in your place volons it's only order only order and obedience for the shadows it's only chaos and evolution and what did you think about what the the volons have to go through because we've understood this to be their thing for quite some time now and with kosh being on the station from the very first episode we've had a long-lasting relationship as viewers with them and recently they've become fellow antagonists in the series so uh, what what are, what are your views and thoughts on just how they present themselves here and what mm. they're actually saying i grow to appreciate this i think not just as we rewatch it but as i get older as well the way that it it, it, the way the way that it deals with parenthood because you think that like the parent that's on your side and protecting you is the one that's right but they are just as vulnerable and flawed as any other person and we think that the Volons are righteous because it's their perspective that we see. And then that flows into a, a broader statement that the show makes, which it delves very literally into there, relatively soon, which is that the victors write the history and like well yeah we're in a part of the galaxy where the volons are in control so they will say that they've suppressed the shadows that they won the last war whereas the the shadow propaganda would be that we caused enough chaos we now need to wait to see that sort of come to fruition in evolution. So both can say that they've won and both have their own perspectives and you are now at the point as a viewer that you understand why both of them see it the way that they do and you understand the third perspective now i think it's really important that sheridan brings up kosh's line about truth being a three-edged sword 
because it reaffirms his statements. It reassures you that there's a very clear direction and purpose for the show as well as these conversations that like they're very heavy conversations you feel the weight of them and jms make sure to not make them just heady boring text there's there's gravitas within the text Mm -hmm. as well as bruce and mira's performances there's layers in the production of Mm. those things to create that sense as well like everything's working together and there's a level of gratitude that we the audience get from it because we are sitting there th- saying thank you for fucking unloading this finally thank you Sheridan for saying what we're thinking here when he says that your two parents mm-hmm. arguing and you're choosing you're making the kid make a decision yeah, and you're choose, fighting like, attorney you're <sighs> sitting there thinking that's exactly what it is thank you so much Sheridan mm-hmm. Oh my god, there's so much gratitude that you the viewer mm-hmm. have. So that 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 And weight. even if you weren't thinking that, like I remember being like, Oh, this dynamic is so familiar. Like on the first watch, like it just has that sense to it. Even if you don't put the name to it, it's kinda on the tip of your tongue and then when he says it, it's like, Oh, that's it. You're like a couple of parents arguing in front of their kids, manipulating them, trying to get them to take sides. Not for their benefit, but for yours. But what if the right choice is not to choose at all? Are you a fan of the ending of this conflict? Are you a fan? Have you been? Are you? It feels right. That's where I end up with it. I I don't really like it. Like, I don't find joy in it. I don't hate it. It just feels right and satisfying. Is there an ending to a war story where you do feel happy with it? Like... You know, I'm trying to think because yeah, Deep no. Space Nine's war ends, and I'm just like, oh, okay. Yeah. And and I'm oh, okay. In many ways, about mm-hmm. B5's versions of it too. Like I, I'm trying to recollect a, a at least even a science fiction war story, but a war story in in a text, not yeah. real life. Yeah, yeah, obviously. But oh, Star Wars! We just blew up the Death Star again. Yay! It's like I, okay, yeah. And I wonder if it's like. Farscape probably is one that I actually rather liked. I actually rather liked the ending to that conflict mm. with uh, the wormhole weapon. I actually think that's a pretty good one. Mm, yeah, I, I'm, and that that does kind of align with what I was going to say, which is that uh, neither of us would enjoy a story. At least I don't think. Uh, where the war is glorified in the end. Like, and there's always a sense of that in these things mm. where it, it, like, it doesn't confront the brutality of it with the joy of it ending. Mm. 
but Farscape comes close to that because the wormhole is so distractive and so overwhelming and so confronting that they have to acknowledge it that that mm. it's like it's not worth the overwhelming violence and destruction and it's idealistic to get too. It. yes because they it's that ending's basically if you showed everyone involved the a bomb going off before you actually yeah. used it it would mean everyone would not want to use it and mm-hmm. it's like ah buddy yep but what's great about b5 is it doesn't end here no you have another season and a half mm-hmm. to say guess what War doesn't just end because you blow up the Death Star or because you sign a treaty or because you you do an arbitration and you talk them out and they go off and they never come back. Like, it doesn't end there. No. We we make our own magic. Mm-hmm. And a part of that is you have to pick up the pieces. And yeah. how do you build something? Sorry. With that juicy, juicy, juicy stuff in mind... Is it time to switch on the spotlight? I'm switching on the spotlight, Rachel. I'm grabbing the big lever and it's on. We're shining it on an actor or actress that appeared in the given episode. Big role, small role, minor, recurring guest, doesn't matter. We're looking at them, going over their performance, their career, any pieces of trivia we have picked up, and just any anything we feel. and. We 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 mean we can't. We have to give him a proper farewell. We will see this character and actor again in B five, mm-hmm. but we're talking about it's a, a, the fourteenth episode out of fifteen that he's in. We're talking about the actor of Mister Morden himself, Ed Wasser. I want to say is it uh, who he was in the Gathering. Mm-hmm. That's where he first started. He was just a random C and C guy. Yep. And uh, when you rewatch it, it's very no, it's very funny. There he is. There's Morton. He's on. Mm-hmm. He's at CNC. Watch out, Sinclair. He works for the Shadows. Takashima, watch out. <laughs> yeah, okay, so we have praised this actor and this performance in every single episode he's in, but let's just fully unload and gush and talk about some of the nuances, some of the some of the things that tickle our fancy. He's great. There's no weaknesses in his performance. He's spectacular. Mm-hmm. There's never a moment where I don't believe that he's this slick, sleazy car salesman motherfucker. Never a moment where I doubt that. He's so mm-hmm. handsome, so smug, such a punchable face. Even when he's scaly. Even, oh, Crispy Morden. I love Scaly Morden. Yeah, Ed gives a phenomenal performance. He's charming. He's funny. He's scary. He's dangerous. He's hard to read at times and yet also very easy to read. He he has he's it so, all going he's on. Disconnected he's disconnected from authenticity. He has the very tricky job of being obviously evil and loving it without being too transparent to the point of being tedious and boring and just nothing. Cartoonish. Or, yeah, or, car- or, or too cartoonish. When we cover Star Trek Discovery, that's a major problem with modern Star Trek is antagonists because they do fall into that problem where they're so evil that you lose interest in it. Like, they're so evil and they know that they're evil and they don't care that... It is just 
boring, yeah, boring, there's boring. There's no there's... dimension to it. And a part of that dimension is in that actor, in that actor who's living and breathing the character on the screen. And Ed has always managed to pull it off because when you first saw Morden, you know he's evil, you know there's something up with him, but you couldn't take your eye off of him, right? He's just somebody where you, you, you're magnetized to him. You want to know what's this person's deal. He's a black hole. He's like, <laughs> but that's what it is like. He's a void that attracts and destroys, and there's nothing behind those eyes except, like, more deceit. Yeah. That big grin. Um, he gives his big grin in this yeah, episode. So happy like, to see it one final time. Because, uh, like I said that, and I was like, oh, no, he is pretty gleeful at his own badassery quite a bit. He's self-satisfied a lot. But there's, like, there's nothing beyond that sort of selfishness. Like, there's a lot of dimension to Morden, but there's not a lot of layers <laughs> He's doing a lot of acting on acting on acting because Morden has to pretend to be Mr. Nice Guy. Oh, I'm doing it for your benefit. But I, I think my favorite Morden moment within all of the series is when he is talking to V about what he wants, what V wants. And it's not just because V gives a really good monologue, but we talked about in that episode, this is the first time where we get to see Morden not have to be nice to someone. He, he doesn't have anything to gain from treating Veer nicely. He can just be transparent with Veer, and he shows that when people don't fall for his ruse, it, it annoys him, it angers him, it upsets him. And I love that. And once that was unlocked, once we got to see that side of Morden, it gave so much more to the performer and to the character there's so much more of that being toyed with from season two on. And Ed Wasser gives a hammy, brilliant, cheesy, grinning performance as Morden when he's crispy and all burnt up in season four. And he's unhinged and he's, he's deranged. And to see this guy who's so slick and so composed lose all of that was also a major highlight. So satisfying. You're insane. On any other day, Mr. Morden, you would be wrong. Today, today is a very different day. One last time, remove your ships. No. You don't frighten me, Malari. If you try to attack our forces, you'll lose. So, let's get into the actor. So, he's an interesting fellow. He doesn't have the largest IMDb roster. He only had a couple of things before Babylon 5 even started. He was in an episode of Quantum Leap as just some random executive yep. boardroom guy. I don't remember him. Yeah, and I don't either. I don't know too much about his acting background, but it just seems like at some point he's like, oh, I'll give it a shot. And so he does have some rather interesting pieces in there but b5 is definitely his biggest role 
He's almost recurring and ongoing. And for a guy that would, after Babylon 5, continue to work in science fiction or do lots of voices for robots in in things and projects i am i am quite uh, surprised that he never goes on to appear in any other big science fiction property he doesn't have a moment in say star trek or battlestar galactica no. anything like that which is such a shame because he he lives and breathes so easily in this realm that it would have been a delight to see him in more stuff but he often just remained in doing one and done roles throughout his career so he'll be in stuff that uh like uh known like murder she wrote are you surprised to see that on there uh nypd blue he was in sliders which is just one other sci-fi thing he did and he did that during babylon 5 so but he mike hammer uh but morden is the biggest one that's the one where I think I'm looking through it. That's the only one, one of the only ones where he does it for more than five episodes of a thing. Mm. And not to say that you need to do more than one episode gigs to have something meaty, but for such a handsome, charis- like on-screen charismatic guy, I don't know why he isn't in more stuff. I am not too sure. He just didn't make it into it. Now, one of the weirdest things, because I've I've never seen him in anything else other than Babylon Five. Like I, I mean, when I say that, it's like yeah, I've seen Quantum Leap, but I don't remember him in anything else. Yeah. Uh, is there anything for you? Anything for you in his career that you go, oh yeah, Morden? Or is no, this? I it? don't think anything left out. There's one other thing that I've always remembered Morden for. And I don't know why, but he was in an episode of 24 of Ripley's Believe It or Not as himself. (laughs) And I remember that. I remember him being in that. I saw him in that and I was like, that's Mr. Morden. And he's himself, of course. He's just Ed. And he's, I can't even remember the full context of it, but just that image of him on Ripley's Believe It or Not was in my brain for so long because it was the only other image I had of him outside of being this sleeky motherfucker. Yeah, and he's self-category. Ah. And that's the other thing that I just recollect from him. And I, 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 it's just, it's just one of those things where he has a mark within this fandom. He's gone to some of those conventions. He seems like a pretty chill dude. He's a handsome guy. He's done some interviews. He's talked about his time on Babylon 5 and uh, where he's gone on to now. Like, are you that familiar with what uh, Ed is up to nowadays or what he was recently up to post B5? Somewhat, but I thought that that might be a nice place to... uh, for me to segue in, I like his early 2000s website still up. Nice. And his like, homepage is like, it's still under construction. Give us time. No. Uh, but on it, he has a, a, a page where he, he thanks a bunch of people. Uh, the first one being God. Thank you, God. He seems to be a very devout Christian. No. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. For someone who's the devil. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't... Okay. Yeah. Um, 
so because I I I looked up his Instagram as well. Mm-hmm. Last thing that he posted was like a birthday photo for his dog. I think cute. He has dogs. Um. Yeah, but what one of the thank yous uh, was Joe, Joe Straczynski yeah. himself, producer slash creator. He says, I know I have expressed my gratitude to you before and how blessed I feel to be a part of the Babylon 5 family. One of the greatest things about the way Babylon 5 is written is the sensitivity towards other people's struggles. When it comes to caring, you really go the extra mile. Babylon 5 says a lot about who you are, and I just want to thank you for the role in making a difference in my life, not to mention viewers all around the world. You have brought a lot of people together, Joe, and not just because it's science fiction, but because of the example you set in your life and the stories you tell through the show. It's true. It's very true. It is fascinating because yeah, you look up him. He 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 yeah uh, yeah he has some spiritual stuff going on. Like he was at a convention for something or other like that. And yet he also came back a couple of years ago. He had a YouTube channel where he did some sketches. Yes, and they're COVID. very amusing. I I got some great laughter out of them where he's making fun of redneck culture and uh, people who are like dismissing Corona and he's, he's having a ball and uh, he's doing what he loved clearly as Morden in season four, which is hamming it up, being a handsome guy, playing an ugly guy because he's still handsome. Everyone, yeah. he's a silver fox now. He's a grandfather. Mm-hmm. I wish he was my granddaddy because <laughs> Jesus Christ, bone me, Ed. He's so hot. No, then you don't want him to be your granddad. I don't. Granddaddy. No. I said granddaddy because he's a granddaddy. Jeez. No, no wins. Am I being a sinner? <laughs> yeah. In the figurative sense, Rachel. What's yeah. wonderful, though, is he has starred in and produced one film that's rather. Uh, let's say charged. Yes, he, I, a softcore porn film. Yes, that, that was a bit of an odd one. I was just like, okay, he produced one thing that must have been like a very passion project. And oh, then I looked there, and there I was, was like, passion. Oh, yep. Uh, okay, there was passion. All right, there was passion. It was sleazy and horny, and something that really, I guess, offset me. Is I've seen pictures of him in his later years, but this is a, a movie called Storm Swept, which was made during Babylon 5's time, and there's pictures of him, and it's obviously him during Babylon 5 times, and it's just so unnerving to me to see him in what was then uh, modern clothing. Yeah. <laughs> and he has, like, a buttons undone, and he has, like, a hairy chest, and I just go, oh... Because he's always dressed up in suits and like button up shirts and B5, just so there's so much dissonance had seeing him just be a, a regular a guy. There's a guy who wears jeans. I'm like, Morden doesn't wear jeans, but there's Ed wearing jeans and he's got like a, a singlet on. It's, it's, it's a lot to take in. I, I would love to hear how that project came to be. I'd love to really know about the the, the softcore pornography. 
Um, there's many behind-the-scenes stories about him. He was great enough to do one of the audio commentary tracks on the DVDs he was on for interludes and examinations. And he talks about a really great point, which is he never really got to work with a lot of the cast. It was only just Peter yeah. and, and Stephen. So he he really didn't get to know a lot of them outside of um, doing the, like, series rap part season rap mm. parties and the conventions he didn't get to work alongside yeah. them unless there was a very special episode once in a blue moon mm-hmm. there's not lots of scenes there's there's no mm. scenes between him and Jakar outside yeah. of the first season yeah that's it and like i find it interesting because like we've seen lots of different types of guest spot actors but he seems to be one that I don't know if we've really encountered, which is he he does it, but he also like seems to run a bunch of businesses hmm. along the side. Like he's always got something going. Like his trivia on IMDb mentions something like starting a business to do with roller skates and um his he did, old like, website links to a website that still works, like oh. um, a it's his family business is like uh, sells musical instrument stuff. Mm-hmm. And there was also mentions of he would do business stuff. His Twitter profile said that he's into cons- like yeah. general contractor. That's the last I heard was he was general contractor making people's decks and just general contracting where like you could yeah. hire him and his group and they'll come over to your house and hey Rachel do you need a sh- do you need a shed? <laughs> and and uh, I I did hear in an interview that he 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 is the type of guy that um I connect with as an actor where he still loves his roles after all this time and he'll quote his own roles in life. <laughs> he quotes oh. the what do you, when he says what do you want he he still can he still every now and then does it as the Morden thing. One of the times I think it was the the Babylon podcast uh he did an interview on and he he would say to his young grandchild what do you want in that Morden way and it'll be spooky but he's like I'm bring him amusement because like I know what that is I I, I did that on TV. Great guy. I, I, I want, if there is ever a reboot, wait, if there wait, is ever sorry, a sorry. Yeah. sorry, I'm just scrolling through his Twitter. Oh, his Twitter is is perfect. I think there's a tweet one time where it's just a full stop. That's all the tweet is. <laughs> I, I, he's truly adorable. Um, come back uh, to Twitter. No, sh- don't come back to Twitter. It's a nightmare. But, but keep, no, he keep hasn't been there since like 2012. But um, he posted one, which I assume is on. It was this one's 2011 around like one of the times when they were like, "Oh, the world's definitely going to end if today is the day," you know, for the end. Do I still have to pay my mortgage? Just wondering. Just wondering. Into the fire, yum or yum yum? Mm, I don't know. Like. It's just, it's just, mm, there's something holding me back. Nothing's holding you back. You're a fucking liar. <laughs> you're a little liar. <laughs> Is this your secret, that you're a liar? <laughs> I don't think that's a secret, honey. Everyone knows that you're lying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. Uh, there is 
basically no fault with this episode for me. Uh, the, like, the things that I don't like about it are because it's so good. Like, I don't want to move on because I want to stay with that scene. I want to stay with those characters and it goes by too fast because I'm invested in everything and the pacing is smooth and the direction is great and the actors are killing it and the writing is sublime. It's a yum yum. Yum yum. Into the Fire is a truly magnificent episode it may not be one of my favorites but it is a seminal one it's very important i give it a yum 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 with the yum yums provided our discussion concluded yep spotlight please share with us the title and the dvd description for next week in babylon 5 on the next babylon 5 Episode 7, Lucky Number 7, Epiphanies. Tensions grow as Earth enacts an embargo aimed at closing the station. And Psychop Bester, Psychocop Bester, comes aboard. But But the growing powers of rogue telepath Lita may bring unexpected help to B5. It's got a bit of everything. It's got it's got Lita. Lita, 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 who was great in this episode too. She said she said a bunch of stuff, and she got black eyes. She's just amazing. And Bester, he's back, baby. Bester episode. Make sure to check that out. In the meantime, people, make sure to give Epiphanies a watch. You can let us know your thoughts, questions, queries, concerns, opinions, uh, or if you just want to talk to us. You can follow our social medias under Yum Yum Pod or Yum Yum Podcast. Mm-hmm. You can email us directly at yumyumpod at gmail.com. But what if they don't really want to talk to us? They just want to hear us talk more Press to play. each other. Press play again. Press play again. But Give us a five-star just... rating and review on whatever podcatcher you're using. Yeah, but what if they want to hear something different but more? Different but more? We have a Patreon, actually, and that's our slogan, different but more. <laughs> we talk about a lot of things on their science fiction, comedies. We're talking about the Alien franchise every month. We just did Space Above and Beyond episode by episode. We are going through so much. We have a group Discord as well. If you want to support us, if you have the means to do so, we would very much love it. We have our Patreon. All of this is in the description below. Jakar, he was, uh, was he here? Did he he show up in Into the Fire? Don't think so. Him and Garibaldi had a day off. Him and Garibaldi had a sleepy sleep because they had too much to eat. Mm-hmm. Rachel, uh, before I say the good eating to you, do do you want to reveal your secret now? Do you actually have a secret to reveal, or were you gaslighting and girl bossing and gatekeeping, Rachel? Which which? Hey, who in this series is gatekeep gatekeep? Gaslight girl boss, like of of uh of our main characters, is it Talia? <laughs> is it Talia? I guess she is, right? By default. Yeah, by default. <laughs> she was gatekeep ga- girl boss gaslight or whatever it is. The order. She really was, huh? 
Do you know what it's like when Teleblasts make love, Commander? I do. That's my secret. <laughs>